0: The Lord be with you. Let us pray. From today's collect, almighty and everlasting God, you sent your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our flesh and to suffer death upon the cross. Mercifully grant that we may follow the example of his great humility and patience and be made partakers of his resurrection. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Uh, good morning. So a few a reminder announcements. This is Holy Week. So all the, um, all the service times as an additional reminder have been printed on the back of your bulletin. So you can check that out. Uh, Easter breakfast next Sunday we won't have Bible study. It'll be an Easter breakfast in here put on by the youth um, starting about 930 and just kind of rolling on in its traditional ongoing way. Uh, we will we'll have an Easter egg hunt for the kiddos at 10. So if you've got a kid, bring an Easter basket or a Walmart sack or, you know, something. Uh, the Owls, uh, older, wiser Lutheran seniors, are meeting on Thursday, April 13th at Up North Ale House. So talk to Jan Lechowitz or see the week at a glance. You can sign up at the Welcome Center for that. And lastly, uh, the, um, the sidewalk construction project got delayed as you might've noticed, when we, as much as we talked it up last week, it didn't happen because of the weather. So uh, weather permitting on April 10th, they'll be doing the concrete. And so that week, we'll, um, the, 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 same, the, the front door will be closed and you gotta use door three and all the rest. So, uh, but I don't wanna talk, about, talk it up too much because the weather's gonna, I'm sure, cancel it again. Today's cake brought to you by Costco, um, but for the uh, the today we're having the first rite of first communion um, that we've had. We've had it, Bethany. Um, so, as you might have recalled, we've been talking about this for months and months now. The um, so we've separated first communion from confirmation. So today, for the first time, we'll have I believe five. Uh, of our younger kiddos who aren't confirmed yet. They are still in Sunday, faithful regular worshiping Sunday school attendees, and we'll be going through confirmation. Um, But what what we basically did is we abbreviated a a, a catechetical uh, instruction for about six weeks approximately based on the, according to the schedule of the students. They all happen to be members at Bethany's school, so we just, uh, Pastor Barton's taught a class for them with their parents right after school on Wednesday for about an hour i uh, going over this, the basics of the Lord's Supper. And, and also there's a rite of uh, Christ, Christian, Christian questions with their answers in the hymnal, are you a sinner, how do you know you're a sinner and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can check that out for yourself. But today, there's not gonna be a full blown rite of confirmation, because we'll hold back that. When that confirmation is when the, when the kiddo would stand in front of the congregation and say, yes, I believe what this church confesses I believe that this is not just my parents' church, but this is my church and I'm giving my amen to this. So that's kind of what's going on with confirmation. Um, But in First Communion, they're just giving their amen to um, the Lord's Supper and these kids have been asking for it. And um, so we will have a brief, their brief confession and they'll have that right. But that's the cake today. That's all the announcements I think I need to draw attention to. Today's Palm Sunday. I want to talk about that. Um, if, on your handout, there's you see there's a the front of the handout that's got uh, Zacchaeus, and then on the back of the handout is uh, the parable of the ten minas, and at the very very bottom the triumphal entry. So um, you and I both know I'm not going to make it all the way to the triumphal entry if I start at the beginning. So I'm going to start at the end, and then then I mean I'm probably and then we can use the same handout the first Sunday after Easter. See, I'm just, it's all about saving trees. That's me, you know. Um, so the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, it's, it is interesting that the, um, I, James Blaise just pointed this out to me. So in the gospel of Luke, the triumphal entry, which is Palm Sunday, is in Luke 19, which follows in the same context of Zacchaeus. So it hits Zacchaeus' house, and then he has the parable of 10 minas, and then When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, verse 28 of Luke. He drew near to Bethphage, Bethphage, and Bethany at the mountain called Olives. Uh, At uh, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples and they went and inquired. In the context of all this, he's also raising Lazarus from the dead. So before he actually gets into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. And that's the John reading. Uh, from the divine service today. So you've got the very beginning of, jo- the, at the beginning of the service. We have a special reading at the back of the service, kind of introducing Jesus coming into Jerusalem, uh, riding on a donkey in the palms, and then that being in the context of Lazarus. So I wanted to, since it's Palm Sunday and we're right in the, in the context of the triumphal entry, oh, the reason I mentioned James Blasius, on the, on, the in, on the front cover of the bulletin today, you've got like a picture of a relief, depicting the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, German 15th century. You got Jesus riding into Jerusalem. They got the, the garments laid out before him, but then you got a short guy climbing up a tree, which doesn't make any sense in John's reading, but it does now knowing that it's, it's in the same context of Zacchaeus with Luke. So a couple notes about, about uh, Palm Sunday. Maybe we'll just talk about it generally, and then we'll look at the text and then uh, back up to Zacchaeus. So remember, as Jesus is riding into, uh, into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he has very recently raised Lazarus from the dead, which was, to say the least, a big deal. It's very close to Jerusalem. And, so, and the text even says from John 11, the raising, in, the, in the context of the raising of, of uh, Lazarus, people had gone to Bethany, which is the town where Mary and Martha live, uh, they had gone there to comfort Mary and Martha at the death of their brother Lazarus. So you, can get, you get a sense that they were kind of a big deal. I mean, they knew, people knew them. People, they were well-liked. Uh, side note, Bethany, whenever, where Bethany is mentioned in the New Testament, the key events, those were kind of captured in, that, in the diamond-shaped stained glass that's uh, as you're exiting the sanctuary of Bethany, uh, walking out uh, up, above your head, above like the organ trumpet things. Is that the official word? What's, what are those called? Trumpet things. <laughs> there's, a, there's a picture of, uh, you see like Jesus riding the donkey and you get the raising of Lazarus and there's kind of palms all around him. And palms is part of our decoration, um, part of the decoration even in, the, in our chancel area. Anyway, so Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. He's, he's gained a lot of attention. And then he's going to go from there heading towards Jerusalem. So So there's a prophecy from Zechariah 9, and that's quoted in today, I think it's today's um, gospel reading, that Jesus is going, from Zechariah 9, where he's going to ride into Jerusalem, the king, the Messiah will come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey, right? And so Jesus, notice he goes out of his way, and this is our our Luke text from Luke 19, uh, 28 and following, he drew near to Beth. Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat, Untie it and bring it here. And the significance of that is that uh, donkeys, animals that no, one's, that no one has ridden on is set apart for holy things. When I hear a colt or a donkey that nothing is ridden on, I'm thinking Unbroken. <laughs> So you just picture Jesus getting bucked around the whole way in. I know I've shared this with you before. Like I grew up with a donkey named Bill, named after a president at the time. And uh, so, but Bill, we 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 halter break mares. So you basically take the you take the the uh, lead rope from the baby the baby horse, and you put the you kind of wrestle them down. and You put a, a lead rope on them and everything. And you tie it to the donkey. And then you can just back off because the donkey isn't moving. Famously stubborn and strong, it just kind of stands there. And the baby pulls and pulls and pulls and pulls, and, and finally just gives up. And, you've, and then, then their lead rope broken. You can walk with them, theoretically. Um, so these, but the donkey, if you want to, like we, we have our, uh, you have like children who come out to the farm, my parents' house. We put the children on the back of the donkey, and we don't have to worry about them getting bucked off because the donkey's not gonna move. And when you, if you can get the donkey to move, it's very uncomfortable, kind of a bony thing. And that's a, that's a donkey. If you wanna ride in style and, and like smooth, you either get a Tesla, right, James? Or you ride a horse. But a donkey is not smooth. And so Jesus goes out of his way to get this, this really awkward mechanism of transportation, not because he was lazy, because he could've just walked in. It would've been easier to walk in having ridden a donkey. Uh, But he goes to fulfill Zechariah 9, where the king is coming in, riding on a donkey. So so he sends the disciples, go get the donkey, bring it back. Uh, If anyone asks you, say, the Lord has need of this, you should try that next time you go to buy a car and you go to the car dealership and just hop in. The Lord has need of this. I don't think so. But in this this situation, they seem to have known um, Jesus was probably friends with this person had already secured it. So those, verse 32, Luke 19, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, what are you doing? Why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they didn't question it. They brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. So this is this royal, starting this, this royal treatment of being placed on someone else's cloaks. And as you rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, which you just, you do for royalty. And maybe like, I don't know, I think of like uh, cartoons, like older cartoons maybe, where you've got like, back when gentlemen were more gentlemanly, and you have like a lady in a nice outfit about to walk through a puddle. The guy like takes off his coat and he throws it on the ground, right? Ruining both his coat, it doesn't actually take away the puddle, it just makes everything worse, but at least shows, respect. In the same way, everyone throwing their garments there on the ground. Uh, This has all this messianic and king, um, king pictures. They recognize Jesus as king. But pause, just because they recognize him as a king and as a messiah does not mean that they understand the kind of messiah that he's going to be. And so we know where he's headed on Palm Sunday, starting Holy Week, headed toward Good Friday, but for them, he is, he's healed the blind man, he's raised the dead, he's done these major miracles. And now Jesus is coming into Jerusalem in the prophetic way as the king, in this kingly way, uh, not, not by way of military king, but as certainly in this messianic king way, riding the donkey. And they're expecting him to overthrow Rome. They're expecting this powerful feat of strength. And so, so as, these, as people are there holding the palm branches of victory, so we know from, like, uh, the picture in Revelation 7, the Pastor Schumacher reads at the end of today's sermon, uh, the picture in heaven of the saints in heaven, clothed in white robes, holding the palm branches. Not because they're like, a, like I mean, why are you holding the palm branches? But it's a, it's a picture of victory, military victory. I always think about it like, if you go, like, when the... Um, if your team wins the World Series or something, they throw like a big parade in your town the next week and everybody, the team rides around on the back of a fire truck or something. Everybody gathers around the street cheering and they've all got those giant foam fingers that say like number one, Cubs number one, right? Uh, that, so the giant foam finger is the palm branch. Waving the palm branches of victory. We've won, in comes the king. It's this triumphant thing. And so too in heaven, those who are, the, the victory over sin, death, and the devil, and so the saints in heaven have, have uh, gone through death and they're, they're waving the palm branches. So we joined together with them today holding our palm branches, but we're really joining these people who, who I'd argue, many of whom, not necessarily all, but many of whom certainly missed the point. They're anticipating a military victory here. And um, it's speculated, and I think it's, it's a logical conclusion, that, that many of those gathered there on Palm Sunday with a certain a certain kind of powerful expectation of the Messiah, Where as soon as Jesus is beaten, flogged in front of everyone and nailed to the cross, like in that context, these people, this isn't the guy that we were hoping for. And do you remember when he's, when he's on trial in front of Pontius Pilate standing before the crowds and they say, release to us Barabbas? And what should I do with this Jesus guy? And they say, crucify him. Probably with the same vigor that they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord a few days prior. Because they're expecting then a powerful Messiah. When Jesus fails to deliver, he kind of proved himself to be, a, in their mind, a false prophet, a false Messiah. And so what do you do with false prophets? They had no problem getting this guy killed. Now that's speculation. Um, other, I think it's also plausible. You have the Pharisees kind of strumming up the crowd. I mean, not I mean, not that you could ever have a riot that would include people like being bused from one area to a different area to start a riot and cause more commotion in a town. Not enough laughing there. Not that that would ever happen, but you get the sense that that's, that's kind of what happened here with the, with the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, uh, the scribes, the chief priests all there in the crowd, kind of getting everybody drummed up with excitement to crucify him, right? But I think it's a little bit of both. You certainly have people who would have been there on Palm Sunday as Jesus riding in, drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a lot. So the whole multitude of his disciples wasn't just the inner 12, but this would have been any follower of Jesus at this point, for all the mighty works that they had seen, like the healing of Lazarus, raising of Lazarus and the healing of the blind man, saying, From Psalm 118, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And where do we sing that? The Sanctus. So where is the Sanctus in the divine service? In the bulletin. bulletin. (laughs) Or in the hymnal for the hardcores. No, so it's right before the Lord's, right before the words of institution so the, the picture here, this like this really cool juxtaposition, I think is the word of between Isaiah and the temple, holy, 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 from Isaiah 6, where Isaiah's got the vision of being in the temple in the presence of God. The temple is full of smoke, not because it's on fire. What's the smoke? Incense. Just saying. Uh, so this, this incense dwelling there in the temple, the presence of God there in the temple, and it blows out everybody from the temple. And Isaiah's there, the, and the uh, the angels get the the seraphim, take the burning coal from the altar and fly over, because Isaiah has confessed he's a a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. And what's the, the angel takes the burning coal off the altar and touches his lips. So he brings the forgiveness from the altar to the point of sin, to the sin place. Uh, So for us, for the Lord's Supper, think of us wonderful connections there. (laughs) for why we sing holy, holy, holy from Isaiah 6. Being in the presence of God, he's bringing forgiveness from the altar directly to us, into us, all the way down where our sin goes. But also there, so not just this powerful presence of God in the temple, right in the heels of that. So holy, 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 blessed is... So we're also going to sing from, from Palm Sunday. Jesus, now not just his powerful presence in the temple, but now riding in lowliness and humility, humble and lowly is he, riding on a donkey, the the colt of a donkey, coming in weakness, because this savior is not gonna conquer with strength and might, but in weakness. He's gonna be most king in his crown of thorns, right? So he's kind of this flipping that's happening between this strong presence of God in the holy, holy, holy. But then blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Jesus coming into Palm Sunday so that he will die. And yet the people didn't get it. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Where does that sound familiar from? We sing it in the glory of the nativity. This is Luke 2. So remember the angels, when the shepherds were out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, right? That whole thing. And remember the angel says, glory to God in the highest, and what? Peace, peace on earth. Well, when the angels are making that announcement, what's showing up on earth? Jesus. So Jesus is bringing this peace, into the world by his presence in the world. And now this interesting flip is happening. Peace, not on earth, but peace in heaven. Because what Jesus is about to accomplish on the cross brings reconciliation between man and God. So peace, not just now on earth, but now also peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So again, with the angels there. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, which was the notice that they're all, all the crowd with palms are are basically calling him the Messiah with those chants. And they're just like, no, 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 teacher, not Messiah, teacher rebuke these disciples. And he answers, I tell you, if these guys were silent, the very stones would cry out. Remember all of, all of creation yearns for the redemption from Romans eight. So the stone, the very, the, the earth is, is so uh, excited for this, for this moment that the ground itself is opening up and, and crying out for Jesus. So then Jesus rides in on Palm Sunday headed to the cross uh, not, with, not with power but in weakness and I, there's a, a point that's worth dwelling on in our human experience um, or so in this world let's say God rules in this world in, two, in his two kingdoms there's the kingdom of the left So that is the state, the government, and that is God's kingdom. God rules over, it. often doesn't seem that way when the the government fails to to uphold God's laws and so forth, but it is ultimately God's kingdom and it rules in this world according to strength and power using the sword. So punishing evil, rewarding good, protecting the innocent, that's the kingdom of the left and it's God's kingdom. But it functions only in power and strength and it's only necessary because of what? because of sin. So originally the, this, the kingdom of the left wasn't even there. It wasn't necessary. The kingdom of the right, that is the church, where the, rule, the Lord rules uh, for us, not according to strength, not according to the sword. That's why the sword has no place in the, in the church, but rather according to weakness. So what's the primary weapon in the church? The word or depending on if you trip in the baptismal font, you could say that the font itself becomes a weapon. It's bad Joe. You getting, getting on hold on, let me check my mic here. The baptismal font, no. Uh, so the word is the primary tool. So notice how the Lord rules in his state in, this, in the government according to strength and power and might. And yet he rules in the church according to weakness and lowliness and humility. Now in our, in our human experience in this world, when there's a, when there's a government, a, a, any kind of state, any nation that wants to, let's say, take over the bad guys, win a victory, do they do that by strength or by weakness? Obviously by strength, right? You gotta have bigger tanks, bigger bombs, bigger army. Now, just because you win a particular war, a battle, does that mean then you can say, hey, we finally won, guys. We can stop putting money into our military. We don't have to keep training the army. Let's just, you know, let's take all of our metal weapons and melt them down into other things. Is that what they do? No. no. What does the, the, the reigning, the victorious kingdom, what do they have to always keep doing? They have to keep improving. Otherwise, as soon as they let down their guard, they're just going to get taken over by the next guy. So in our, in, in our human experience of things, the, the evil never goes away. It might be beaten temporarily, but it doesn't like, it's not rendered powerless. And so the, what was won by power has to be maintained with power. And if you lose your power, you're gonna lose. So when Jesus rides into Jerusalem in lowliness and humility, and he then dies on the cross in weakness and lowliness and humility, He undoes the the problem. He undoes the evil, not with power, but with weakness. And he does it in such a way that that it's not still hanging out, ready to jump in when Jesus lays his guard down, but he actually undoes the power of death. He rips the teeth out of death. He forgives sins. He chases away the devil. So that what, he, what Jesus has done in a different way than the way of power in this world, which only kind of temporarily keeps the enemy at bay, Jesus has completely undone the power of the enemy through weakness. Now, in the same way as in the state, the, the reign the, uh, the had to be maintained with power. The church doesn't maintain itself with power, but in weakness. So going back to the primary weapon of the church, the word, spoken word. That's, that's easily ignored and walked away from. Water, bread and wine, these, these lowly things, sinful, sinful vessels, pastors, that are simply voice boxes for God's forgiveness. God's working through this chosen self-chosen weakness and humility to sustain his church because that's how he won it, you see? So I think it's a, a, fun, a fun, lots of fun contrast that happened on Palm Sunday. So let's. Any questions on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry? Before we flip back to Zacchaeus with our remaining time. Yes, Keith. What's the difference? Okay, what's the difference between the poem and the poem? I was. You know, I was hoping no one would ask that question because I didn't have time to look into it. Uh, I don't know because you got it recorded differently in two different places. Anybody have any insight on that? What was the question? It wasn't a good question. We'll move on. No, so you've got, you've got different readings of the. So one of your footnotes probably clarify, clarifies it for us. Any, I know. So, so the question was, what's the difference in the colt, the full of a donkey? And you got the prophecy from Isaiah that he's going to be riding in a certain thing. And so as Jesus, he's, he, he goes and he fetches a, a donkey, if a colt, someone, yeah. So, so you have to go back to, uh, I, that's a Spanish or I go back to Latin, right? So, so the donkey is burro, right? And the colt of a donkey would be a burrito. So, <laughs> that's the main difference is that you just in on a burrito. And that was better than my font joke? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I know. So right. the donkey is the full grown and it's the burrito the equine animal and it has a it's young no, like, name for a baby donkey. What always caught me though is that the I think it's when when the when the Palm Sunday is recorded in all the different readings, you get it in different ways. Like it's like the colt of a foal of a donkey, and then he's, he actually gets a donkey here, he gets a baby horse here. So it's like horse? Yeah, but it's not a donkey. <laughs> okay. Donkey is a different thing. I like so I, I think the donkey kind of captures certainly the distinction between. The military general riding in on a horse with a sword. Yeah, I have to look at the the different texts on that. Good question. Anything else on Palm Sunday? Very good. Let's flip back to Zacchaeus, the wee little man. From the song. Anybody grow up singing that? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he, for he wanted to see, for the Lord he wanted to see, wanted to see. And, as way, and as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, he said, Zacchaeus come down. Oh, so you all knew it all along, you're just letting me embarrass myself, look at you. Come well, so I, yeah, I love that, I, mean, that's a, I think that, that song is so helpful for teaching, the, to, for teaching of Zacchaeus to the children. I mean, studying it, the, the one thing that you, you miss, which obviously you can't emphasize this point to the kids yet, because they don't comprehend it, but the significance is not his stature, but obviously it's, it's an easy connection for the kids to make because they're also you know, short in stature and they, can kinda, they understand wanting to see Jesus. But I, what's going on here is a lot more from Zacchaeus, what's, what's being expressed about Zacchaeus is a lot deeper. So I want to spend a couple minutes and dwell on, on Zacchaeus. So the beginning of Luke 19, verse one, he entered Jericho. So which is he, he had just restored the, the sight of the blind man on the way into Jericho. So he enters Jericho and is passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a, not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. He would have been high up, right? So he had the authority among among the tax collectors in the town of Jericho and was rich. So we've talked about this before. I know it's worth repeating. Remember the tax collectors are often hated because they are Jewish. They're of the, of the Israelite people. And yet they've essentially betrayed their own to work for Rome to get money out of their own people. Now I, I, I would argue that a person could certainly do this in such a way that they weren't weren't abusing the system. But as is our sinful flesh, people in this position of absolute authority and power tend to abuse it. So if I'm a tax collector, my income level is determined only by the difference between what I'm supposed to give to Rome and what I take from you. So if I walk around with a lot of money, then you know whose money that is. You see the problem there? So when it says that he's rich, it's not, just saying, it's not just saying that he had a lot of money and it was a problem for him. It was actually driving home this point of he had robbed his own people and they all knew it. So the, and they're all, so the tax collectors are often hated for that, for that reason being, betraying their own people, and also um, suspicion of using their, using their surplus funds on an immorality. Uh, let's see. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Why? That's an interesting thing. So he would have yeah, so he had a, he had heard about this Jesus, but now he wants to see it with his own eyes. So just try to put yourself in his, in his position, like, why, what would be motivating Zacchaeus to want to see this guy? And what, what kinds of things has he heard? Yeah. The Holy Spirit. Well, oh, the Holy Spirit certainly working through the word that he would have heard of, to, to hear of this Jesus. So the Holy Spirit driving Zacchaeus. But there's, but so and also the Holy Spirit, I think it would be working in him to bring about this, what we call guilt and shame. So this desire to see the Savior is one who realizes they're totally worthless in themselves. So you picture this poor Zacchaeus guy, rejected by his own people. That's why Jesus is always drawing these guys to himself. He's rejected by his people, he's hated by so many, and he probably feels terrible. The movie The Chosen, I think does a good job of capturing that emotion in the Matthew character, if you, get it, if, you if you know what I'm talking about, if you've seen that show. But this idea that he's probably, he's probably, very guilty. And he, he hears about this Jesus who's healing miracles, but he's also forgiving sins. And there's like, this is, I got to see this. Because I got these problems too. It's not, not a physical problem, but I got a guilt problem that maybe Jesus can do something about. So that's in his head. On account of the crowd, he couldn't see him because he's a wee little man. In verse four, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way." Now, trees are significant. This is kind of a, the church fathers speak of this, and I think it's, it's at least worth mentioning. The scriptures don't make a one-to-one connection here, but trees, uh, cursed are those who are hung on a tree as a reference to what? Jesus dying on the cross. So the idea of going up into a tree is really given to one person to do, Jesus. And so in just a moment, when Jesus is going to tell Zacchaeus to come down from the tree, because that's not for him to do, who goes up trees? Jesus. Now that's, I mean, It's just more of a beautiful symbolic thing that the scriptures don't necessarily lay out. So he's, he climbs up in the tree to see Jesus. Yeah, just... Can I ask a weird translation question? I don't have my Greek in front of me, but you can... Okay up in the tree because Zacchaeus was short and couldn't see him or did he climb up in the tree because the Jesus tree was, was short <laughs> That's, we've been missing it all these for years that song is we've been wrongly catechizing the children Jesus, Jesus who was short in stature and Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because he was short I see I think you're wrong there I would have mentioned it interesting take I've never thought about it. Uh, pronouns yeah, pronouns are slippery like that right not in the case, not in the way that they are today. <laughs> All right, verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, so remember, so Zacchaeus runs up in front of him, climbs up in a sycamore tree on the chance, on the off chance that he's gonna kind of walk by, maybe I'll see him better. And, but I mean, just imagine. So Zacchaeus is excited to see this guy and Jesus isn't just passing by, he's coming directly for him. It's like Jesus sees him in the tree and he goes straight to him. I oh, wonder if he starts. his heart starts to beat a little bit. Like, uh, and the crowd's starting to gather on the tree. They can see up my robe. <laughs> Zacchaeus. So right away, Zacchaeus. Now, how did Jesus know it's Z- Zacchaeus? Because Zacchaeus was known for hanging out in the tree. <laughs> <laughs> There's a short tax collector up there, be careful. So Jesus, so Jesus knows this is Zacchaeus. So imagine how that strikes Zacchaeus. So not only does he know me by name, but now he says, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. He honors him by talking to him, telling him to come down and I'm coming to your house. So I've been rejected by everybody else in, in my life that I know, my own family perhaps. And here's this Jesus who is now honoring me, not just one to one, but now in front of who? The massive crowd that's all around the tree. Zacchaeus, come down and come into your house. Very striking for Zacchaeus. And with that, he hurries and comes down and receives him how? Joyfully. So notice this conversion that happens in Zacchaeus. So he's got this, this repentant guilt that's drawn him to the savior. Jesus hunts him down. And, and, and honors him, but by calling him by name, I'm coming to your house. And this gives him joy. He's been, he's been identified by the Savior and, and honored by the Savior. And now he has this joy of being found by Jesus. And that's really the joy, the joy of the whole Christian life. And, I, and I, we can pause there just to talk about joy. Uh, President Harrison wrote a book called a Little Book on Joy uh, years ago that I think it's where it's a quick, it's like a devotional resource. He basically talks about joy in like a hundred different ways. Um, so it's a fun little book, but this, I think we can get, we can lose the joy of, of just Christianity. We could say, take it a step further of Lutheranism. I mean, think you're all the cliches of Lutheranism of like, you know, your, your small little farm church, your staunch Norwegian, likes the coffee, likes it cold, bitter, um, tell your kids to be quiet in church, all that kind of stuff. I mean, these are all stereotypes to be sure, right um, and, but we can, all, we, can like, we can kill we can kill the joy of Christianity or, or Lutheranism, the, the joy of the gospel by missing what 's actually going on here this the fact that Jesus has actually died and actually rose and And what that means for me in my daily life is that death can do nothing to me. That uh, Putin can do whatever he wants. And I'm gonna be okay. That all the challenges that that I'm facing in this life, I know who's really in charge here. And no matter what happens to my body, I know that I'm okay. And that totally sets me free. They then go go through my daily life with a joy that no one else has. So I've got this eternal joy to see, to see beyond the next 50 years to, I know what, like this is just a blip on the, on the screen. I know this eternity that lays out before me and I know the God who is with me and this joy that then fills, fills me up. That then like, so we come into worship and we actually, I mean, so there's the practical things of like, we're juggling kids and getting the bullets and ready and today palms were getting smacked in their face and somebody's in your pew. No! Like all these problems. But then you notice what happened there. Somewhere near the beginning of the service, God forgave your sins. That is the guy who created the heavens and the earth, who then became flesh, he died on the cross and rose again, reached into you and pulled out your sins. So this is a huge thing. That it's like, wow. Ah. So, the, so the next thing we sing, we sing the Kyrie, we're singing that when Easter we'll sing the Gloria, all the hymns, like, I don't care how bad you think your voice is, like sing, like this is nothing greater. And yet, I mean, our practical, that's our, that's our Christian self who kind of knows that but well, we're simultaneously in our sinful flesh and we do this every week and we're going through the motions. And we're not really thinking about it. Yeah, of course he's gonna forgive my sins. That's why I'm here, right? But just to think about this profoundness, like Zacchaeus for the first time, having Jesus come into your house. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, this is interesting so first, eating we talked about this before, eating in the Gospel of Luke is a, um, he, table fellowship is significant for Luke. Eating with people shows you're kind of joining yourself to them. So he honors sinners and tax collectors all the time to be eating with them. So the fact that he's going into the house to be a guest of Zacchaeus, he's joining himself. Maybe they think, maybe they're jealous because they wanted Jesus in their house. Uh, maybe they think Jesus is soft on sin. Well, he should be ignoring the sinners. So they learn their lesson, right? But no, he goes in to be his guest. But it's interesting, like, if you say, if you, if you have a guest at your house, is it their house or is it your house? It's your house if you're bringing guests in. But remember what Jesus, everything, what? Everything is his, everything is his already. So really we're doing it wrong. We say, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, right? I mean, it's a great prayer. I just never thought about it until this, that, that Jesus is, it's not that Jesus is the guest of Zacchaeus. It's really that he's welcoming Zacchaeus to himself and the Pharisees miss it here. Says so Jesus is calling to himself. He sought out Zacchaeus, he's calling him to himself and he's, he's gonna be eating dinner in the house that is, Jesus is already, that he's let Zacchaeus borrow for a while. Then Zacchaeus, moved by this, this, this show of mercy, stood and said to the Lord, he st- but he stood and no one noticed. Again. Huh. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold." Now notice, not too long before this, Jesus had, had, was it last, in, in chapter 18 actually, one chapter, immediately prior to this, Jesus is talking to the rich man who asks about getting into heaven. And what's Jesus tell him to do? Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And what's that guy do? He walks away sad because Jesus has exposed his idol. So Jesus isn't actually telling him that that's how you're gonna get into heaven. So like there is a price tag at that point for heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's exposing the idol for that guy. Here, for Zacchaeus, it's different. Zacchaeus has been set free from this idol, which maybe, so you think for him to have accumulated the wealth at the expense of his neighbor, money had been, a wealth, had been an idol for him. Because idols are the things that control us to lead us to sin against others, right? So like whatever your sin is, think about whatever sin you, you, you wrestle with. And what you're trying to please something with that sin, usually yourself, your own pride or something. That's your idol. So if your idol is money, you'll do anything to get more of it, right? To keep it. And so Jesus here shatters this idol for Zacchaeus and having that, since it no longer has control over him, he's like, I don't need this. I have Jesus. And he's just giving his stuff away. So that's this, it's a response to the gospel, not a demand made upon Zacchaeus by the Lord. You see the difference? So when it's given as a demand by the law, it's, it's given for the purpose of bringing Repentance. But now as a response of, forget, a response of faith to having, to having been forgiven, having been honored by Jesus, he is cut free from his idols and he's just loving his neighbor and whatever that looks like for him. For all of us, it's gonna be different for us to love our neighbor freely and joyfully. For Zacchaeus, it happens that he just has a lot of money. He just wants to give it away. If he cheated people, if I defrauded anyone, if, come on Zacchaeus, <laughs> I restore it fourfold. A fruit of this repentance that's growing out of this faith that he has it's not, it's not a, a prescription for the Christian life now, Jesus isn't laying this out he doesn't say Zacchaeus if you're really sorry then this is what you're going to do right let's track down all the people that you've wronged now he's back to the law Jesus isn't giving this to him as law Jesus is just chopping he gives him a new heart chops off the idols and sets him free and in that freedom, what's he do? Love his neighbor. Oh, man, I, I can't believe I was such a jerk to you and I took that money for, here you go. Here's, here's fourfold. It's more, it's, I, have, I have more than I need. Jesus never had to tell him to do that. It only comes from a new heart, you see? And Jesus said to him, so this is interesting. So Jesus says, to who? To Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Who came to the house? Jesus, whose name means salvation, he saves. Salvation comes into the house since, and this is back to the pronoun problem, since he also is a son of Abraham. He's talking to Zacchaeus. Who's he? It's obviously talking about Zacchaeus, but he's not just talking to Zacchaeus. Who else is there? All the other guys who are, the guys who are grumbling that he's eating in the in the with tax collectors and and sinners. But they still come in to eat. Yeah. They, well, so there's a, there's a lot of food. I mean, I'm not going to say no to bacon wrapped figs. I guess they wouldn't have bacon wrapped figs. <laughs> uh, let's see. Since he also is a son of Abraham. Now remember, to be a son of Abraham, not just according to flesh. So on the one hand. Uh, so the, the, the commentator, I, I was not pleased with any of the commentary's treatment of this phrase. He also is a son of Abraham, but I think we can hit at it in two different ways. First, uh, to be a son of Abraham in the genetic sense. So he's of the, of the lineage of Abraham, right? So in that way, he's in the same, he's a Jew just like the Pharisees or the, those who are grumbling against him. So he's in the same boat. So he's saying that to the Pharisees and, and salvation is for him too, just like it is for the rest of God's people. But also, and I think more, more helpfully, to be a true son of Abraham that we learn, as we learn from Paul, is not a, to be a son of Abraham according to flesh, but according to what? Yeah, but according to faith, faith in the promise. So that, so we're not, so Christianity, for example, is not limited, or, or, or Judaism is to be an Israelite. It's not limited to, to genetics, but it is simply faith in the promise, and that's how people are brought into the light, into the nations. People are brought into Israel, brought into Christianity, regardless of genetics, because it's all about faith in the promise. Now Zacchaeus, we are together now with Zacchaeus, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now. Um, I didn't really, I've been ignoring my handout today, so let's flip over there. Number seven, the very bottom of page one. We'll just ignore all those first questions. I got my what would Jesus do bracelets there. Nothing wrong with those necessarily, but I, want to, I just want to focus in on this from Jesus says in verse 10. The Son of Man came for one purpose. He came, we know why he came, to seek and to save the lost. That's why he's here. So we can miss it if we if we think Jesus came to to show me how to fix myself. Or he came. I mean, is Jesus an example? If you want to be depressed. If you want to be depressed? Yeah. What would well, Jesus do the right thing every time. Well, it's true. Yeah, Jesus is a is a bar that we're never going to reach. However,. I mean, we also want to, we do want to strive to be like Jesus in the sense that um, he forgives in humility and lowliness, right? And so we, our Christian life is characterized after that same way. To us to be loving others more than ourselves, forgiving others. So there is that, that's a good thing that flows out of this. And there's a right way of, of understanding what would Jesus do. But, but we, we, can't lim- we can't limit Jesus coming to this world to just be a good teacher, um, or to just be an example for us, because that re- completely misses the point. And the Muslims, um, really every other, any other religion can say the same thing about Jesus, that he's got some helpful stuff to say. Um, so he's a good teacher. Put him on a fortune cookie and it's fine. But this is bigger than that. Jesus came not just to teach. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And if they're lost, they can't save themselves, right? That's why they have to be sought out by him. So it has Jesus, that flips back to that picture of the good shepherd who is seeking the sheep, who is completely lost, afraid and alone, unable to, unable to do any seeking of their own. And Jesus comes to us. This is his great, tremendous mercy of Jesus that we see him seeking and saving the lost as he walks up to the sycamore tree you I mean, think about it. So Jesus, when he went into Jericho that day, he knew where he was headed. He stopped a long way because there's a blind... He was in a hurry, and the blind guy was calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he's like, oh, I'm trying to get to Zacchaeus. He's going to be in the tree, but just a second. What do you want? Okay, you're healed. <laughs> Heals the blind guy, then he, but he's, he's after Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus is, is trapped in his sin, and his idolatry of, of wealth. But, but it's not, just notice there's no joy in Zacchaeus. Even though he has, maybe one would argue it, he has all that the world would offer, yet he has no joy. And so Jesus comes and sets him free from his guilt and sets him free from his idols. And now he's gonna head to the cross uh, for Zacchaeus and for you and me. So why he came? He, Jesus came. Uh, he did not come to just be a, an example, but he came to seek and save the lost. And in so doing, along the way, there's plenty for us to learn from Jesus. Uh, he is an example for us in many, many ways. But that's not the main reason why he came. Because ultimately, if he's just an example, we know we never measure up, and we are left we're left in our sin with a, with even more sin exposed than before because we're comparing ourselves to perfection. Any uh, any comments on Zacchaeus there? Yes. Bakın That's brilliant. Yeah, I never never thought about that. So yeah, it's in this immediate context where Jesus curses the fig tree for not producing figs and the sycamore trees in this region were fig bearing sycamore trees. I didn't know that was a thing. I thought you got figs from Costco, (laughs) sycamore trees. But yeah, so he brings forth fruit. He brings forth fruit from this fruitless tree Zacchaeus. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Yeah. But yes, it's funny. I got, I got into an argument. That's hard. That's a, a lady got into an argument with me. She started it <laughs> at, uh, at the nursing home. I know. So she was, she was from the, from the ELCA and was visiting one of her members and we were there doing the devotion at sunrise. We have no members at sunrise. So we're just doing the devotion out of like the kindness of our, our, our members and so forth. And like, afterward, this lady from the ELCA approaches me and, and she's like yelling at me that I didn't have the Lord's Supper for everybody. I said, well, we don't all believe the same thing. And it kind of like, it, bring, it brings up all this complication. So we just wanted to keep it word and, and devotion. And she was like, well, no, I mean, G- what? she said, what would Jesus have done? Wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus want his supper given to just everybody? I'm like, no. <laughs> well, it's just this presumption that I know what Jesus is gonna do right? I've got this special insight into the wisdom of God, when really Jesus is constantly flipping everything upside down. We never know what Jesus is going to do, how he's going to be acting. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's certainly helpfulness. We want to love our neighbor like Zacchaeus, or like, uh, like Jesus models for us. But ultimately, the focus is always on what Jesus has done, what Jesus has done for us. Let that always overshadow what, what we would do for him. We're out of time. Next week, we'll, all right, next week is Easter. And then the week after, we'll jump back into the parable of the 10 minus. Uh, today at, a, at the late service, the kiddos are starting at the opening procession with the palms. Uh, and then, um, so we hear them sing in stanza four. If you got a kid, if you came to early church and you got kids, just let them sing and then take off after the procession. No one, no one will notice. The Lord be with you.